Thank you for listening to Crossroads Community Church of Jefferson Hills. At Crossroads, our mission is to be the church by sharing and showing the love of Christ and inviting others to be recipients of Christ's love. Now, here is this week's message from Pastor Floyd Hughes. And I hate to say this, but I kind of got to have to remind everyone that next week is um, daylight saving time. Yeah, uh, and people got mad at me because I put an S on it. I'm like, I don't like it with or without the S. Saving or savings, we don't like it. Uh, but there's a lot of things uh, going on. I just wanted to share really quickly um, that I know I realize tonight's Halloween. going to be lots of kids out trick-or-treating. Um, and I think I just have to let a lot of parents know because a lot of people struggle with this. It is okay. Um, I don't have a Bible verse for it, but it is okay to take some of your children's candy. It is not okay to take it all, right? So, I mean, these little kids have been, like, waiting for this and, you know, have all the costumes and, and all that stuff. So, uh, again, take, take some, right? Uh, I, think, I forget if it's Lene or Rachel. One of them said that they have to sample little pieces. It makes sense. Just don't take it all. I mean, let the kids have their candy. And also, here's the thing. If you're giving out candy... Right? Um, and again, I think, I think God will forgive us if we do this, but let's try not to do this. Don't give like toothpaste and breath mints. That's not candy, right? And, and, and these little kids have been, I mean, they've been through a lot this year, right? Because, you know, schools in and out of school, mask, unmask, vaccinations, all this stuff. You know, and, and they, a lot of them, many of them, most of them did not get to trick or treat last year because of the pandemic. So this year, they're putting on their costumes, they're going out, and, and they just wanna, they just wanna get some candy. Not breath mints, not gospel tracks, not toothpaste, right? Just, just give the kids some candy, okay? Uh, and let the parents deal with, you know, whether or not they should be filling up on all that sugar. But here's the thing. It doesn't matter because I know there's a lot of Christians who are anti-Halloween, yada, yada, yada. Mark and I talked about this in the podcast. But regardless of what your stance is on Halloween, um, can we just pray for all the families that are going to be going out? They're taking their kids out. They're going to be out on the street. Uh, Can we just pray for them for their safety? So I'm going to ask you to bow your heads. God, we lift up all of those families. When we're going out, we pray for safety. Uh, we pray for a spirit of fellowship among all of the families and neighbors that are getting together and handing out candy. Uh, we praise you and thank you for all of the first responders and police who will be on alert to help keep things safe. And we pray that regardless uh, of, of a Christian stance on Halloween, that they would acknowledge this time to get to know their neighbors, to fellowship with one another. And to use this as a night for your glory. And we pray this in Jesus' name. And everyone said, amen. All right, as you are making your way back to your seats and getting situated, uh, no matter whether you're for or against trick-or-treating, like we were talking about earlier, um, uh, so many people are going to be out trick-or-treating tonight. And I think, uh, I forget, again... One of the moms brought it up on the moms podcast that we did, that it's a great way to meet your neighbors, 
uh, to hand out candy, to get to know the folks in your community. Even if you're opposed to like Halloween trick-or-treating, get to know your neighbors, great opportunity. Um, Christy and I, we don't give out candy because on this street, uh, where our house is, there are no sidewalks, so cars fly up and down here. So um, it's not safe for kids to be walking up and down this street. So in the 14 years we've lived here, we have not seen one trick-or-treater, uh, which is good because, you know, not safe. But I'm just curious, and I'm not judging anyone, I'm just curious, how many people are going to give out candy tonight, if you are, just raise your hand real quick. Okay, yeah, cool. Gives me an idea of what houses to hit when I go looking for candy. Now, here's the thing, though, I, and, and <laughs> Sharon's like, here's your chocolate. Okay, um, I love chocolate, but I'm a Snickers guy. I love Snickers, all those. But here's the thing, so if you see like someone wearing this mask, blue Power Rangers mask, right? It will be me, okay? So here's the thing. Don't judge me for being in costume. I didn't buy this for Halloween. I bought it so I could, uh, and I have the whole costume. I bought it so I could take my nephew to a New York City Comic Con. Uh, not New York City, Rochester Comic Con. But because of all the vaccinations and all that stuff, I didn't get to take him, you know, so... Um, I kind of have to wear it now, because if I don't wear it at least once, then Christy won't let me buy the next outfit. Um, she actually probably won't anyway, but, so I have to at least wear it once. So I'm probably going to wear that tonight, go out, trick-or-treating, uh, grab some candy. Uh, but seriously. You cannot put that candy bar in chocolate. I don't get to eat the chocolate? I get to eat the chocolate. Oh, Okay. Oh, because it has Batman and Superman on it, on the heroes. Yeah, awesome, cool. That is so cool. Um, here is, here's, here's the thing, though, right? Because I know, we're talking about trick-or-treating and all that stuff. But throughout the Bible, right, food and fellowship, and we've said this before, food and fellowship are throughout the Bible, right? Because it gives us a picture of heaven. We're going to experience uh, so much um, just of God's power and might in heaven, but I'm going to jump this, this slide back up uh, really quick. Oops, sorry, I'm jumping around. We're going to experience so much of God's power and might in heaven, that, but we really don't have a picture of what that looks like, right? And right now, uh, starting uh, tomorrow, November 1st, right, starts a whole new season. We talked about all these seasons that start because of the fall. November 1st starts a whole new season of food, because Thanksgiving is coming up, right? So people are trying out recipes and, and, and mobbing the grocery stores, although I'm concerned because the prices of food have gone so up. I went to buy like a quarter slice of watermelon, quarter slice, that was, I think, $1.96, except when I went yesterday, it was $8 and change. I went to buy a pound of hamburger meat that used to be $3, and that was $9. And I came home, and I was literally not yelling at Christy, but yelling and complaining about it. She was like, why are you so up? I was like, because I'm, I'm trying to figure out how are people eating? People who aren't making, you know, $15 or $20 an hour or $30 or $40,000 a year. How people that used to, yeah, three or four times a week, a pound of hamburger meat for 2 or $3. That was how you, you made it into different meals. But now they can't because it's $8, $9, $10 for that same amount of food, 
right? Sorry, got off sidetrack. That just blows my mind. But food, huge over the next couple of weeks. Christmas recipes, Thanksgiving recipes, pies, cakes, everything. Everyone's going to be cooking all kind of stuff, right? But also fellowship over the next couple of weeks because of Thanksgiving and because of Christmas. Because people, even, even before Thanksgiving, people will be getting together with their families. People will be getting together with friends. Has anyone ever heard of uh, Friendsgiving? No one ever heard of it? Okay. it? Yeah, it's literally where a lot of people will be like, hey, I know you guys will all be with your families for Thanksgiving, so let's have a Friendsgiving where we can all share a Thanksgiving meal together. And then there'll be lots of people having office parties, right? Uh, uh, where people get together, and even community events, Christmas tree lightings and all that stuff, where people will be focused on food and fellowship, right? Because that's, that's a huge part of our culture. But all of these activities, all of the food events that we're going to have and that we're going to taste and everything that we're going to deal with and all of the fellowship activities that we have bringing people together, they kind of pale in comparison to what we're going to experience in heaven. We're going to experience such an amazing amount of food that we have probably never tasted before, although part of me prays that there's some Twix up in heaven. I don't know. Uh, We're going to experience an amount of fellowship and community that's unlike anything we've ever experienced on earth. And this is what Paul says about it. And and granted, uh, Paul is talking, there's like a little spider hanging right there that I don't want to hit with my Bible, so I'm going to hit with a piece of chocolate. Okay. <laughs> I'm not going to eat this now. <laughs> okay, but here's what Paul says about it. He's talking about wisdom. He says, however, as it is written, what no eye has seen, what no ear has heard, and what no human mind has conceived, the things that God has prepared for those who love him. He's basically saying, hey, our minds can't, can't conceive of all that God has in store. Now, he was talking about, in context, he was talking about wisdom. But it applies to pretty much anything that you can think of because we try to picture what heaven is going to be like. But it's hard to grasp it. It's hard to grasp people of every tribe, every tongue, and every nation all loving one another in heaven when we can't even stand each other down here on earth, right? It's hard to picture all of these foods and and fellowship and community in heaven when we're trying to figure out how are we going to get through one more meal with uncle so-and-so or aunt so-and-so who we don't get along with down here on earth. So what I wanted to do is I wanted to share uh, in this series, uh, talk about um, how we can take one small step towards grasping what God has in store for us when we get to heaven, from that food and fellowship perspective. So the goal of this series that we're walking through is twofold. First and foremost, it's to allow us and remind us to be thankful, right? For the food we have, for the friends we have, for the family we have. Listen, even if the food we have, if it's only coming from the food bank, or if it's coming from fresh time, doesn't matter. Be thankful for it. For the friends we have, even if, even if I only have one, and, and other people have like 10 or 20, they go bowling and hunting and golfing and all this stuff together, and you just have one friend, be thankful for that. For the family members that you have, 
Even if I only see them on Christmas and, and, and Thanksgiving, be thankful for that because there's a lot of people that don't have any food and don't have any family. And this is where the church is supposed to step in and say, hey, we will be your family. But it's also to remind us to be inviting and to treat people the same way that God treats us. He doesn't look at us and our differences and says, I want nothing to do with you. He looks at us despite our differences and says, I want to spend eternity with you. I want to invite you to be a part of my family. So I want to start, we're going to start this series by looking at an account we've talked about before, but it also emphasizes both of these goals, being thankful and being inviting. So if you have a Bible, open it up to the book of Genesis, uh, chapter 14, and while you're turning there, I'm quickly just going to summarize uh, what's happening in that passage uh, for the sake of time. So when you open to Genesis 14, right, uh, what it talks about is this, there is this war of these kings, right? Uh, five kings versus four kings. King of Sodom, king of Gomorrah, king of Adma, king of Zeboim, king of Bela. You don't have to memorize these names. But also, they're fighting against the king of Elam, king of Goim, king of Shinar, and king of Elasar. Excuse me. So all of these kings come together to fight, and the four kings defeat the five kings. Now, when the four kings defeat the five kings, they take all of their property, they take hostages, they take their soldiers, but they also take Lot. How many remember Lot, Abraham's nephew? They also capture him. He's one of the people that falls victim and gets captured. So he gets taken into captivity, right? And then Abraham, when he finds out about it, he goes after him, okay? He goes after him and he says that I'm going to correct, I'm going to uh, bring him back. And here's just a side note. These kings, these wars that they're fighting, we see the same thing today, maybe not in war, but in political battles. Like the political division, uh, I was reading this morning where some people were commenting, not even, not even at the federal level or state level, just at the local borough council level, the bashing and name-calling and fighting for people that are running for borough in Jefferson Hills. And, and people were saying, I've never seen it this bad. Why is it so divisive? It's so divisive because when people go to battle for politics and power, they don't really care about the people. They want the people to follow them, but they won't go fight for them. We have to do that ourselves. That's why Abraham said, hey, I'm going to go fight for my nephew. So open up to Genesis uh, chapter 14, and this is what we read. Genesis chapter 14, starting in verse 13, it says this. One who had escaped came and reported this to Abram, that his nephew had been taken captive, the Hebrew. Now, Abram was living near the great trees of Mamre, the Amorite, a brother of Eschol and Aner, all of whom were allied with Abram. Now, this is important, not necessarily the names, but the understanding that Abraham was living near people who didn't believe the same way he believed. The Amorites didn't believe like Abram believed, right? But they were still allied together. Verse 14, when Abram heard that his relative had been taken captive, he called out the 318 trained men 
born in his household and went in pursuit as far as Dan. And we need to talk about this as well because part of the division in our nation is the rich versus the poor, right? There is absolutely nothing wrong with being rich. There are plenty of God-loving, God-honoring rich people in the Bible, and Abram was one of them. It says he had 318 men who were born in his house. That means they were born to people who also in his house. That doesn't mean literally in his building, but his household, uh, his village, his tribe of people. So those 318 men were born to 636 parents, right? It's likely, because those 318 men also probably had, they're full-grown men now, also probably had families, uh, they estimate that anywhere from 750 so more likely 1,500 people were a part of what we would call his employees. Abraham wasn't just rich. He was filthy, stinking rich. And there's absolutely nothing wrong with being rich. It's a matter of how you use your resources to help other people which is what he did. As a matter of fact, in Timothy, it says this. Stay in Genesis. In Timothy, Timothy says this. He says, command those who are rich in this present world not to be arrogant, nor to put their hope in wealth, which is so uncertain, but to put their hope in God, who richly provides us with everything for our enjoyment. And I want all of us to read that first word together. Ready? Command. It doesn't say suggest to them. It doesn't say preach a sermon on it. Paul writes to Timothy, and he says, command the rich folks to not to put their hope in wealth because they can lose their wealth. And we talked about when we were walking through Lamentations how the rich and the poor starve to death together, right? All their resources taken away, uh, they all dealt with the same consequences. But he says, put your hope in God. He goes on and he says this. He says, command them. Again, command, not a suggestion. Don't do a sermon on it. Command them to do good, to be rich in good deeds, and to be generous, and to be willing to share. Right? And I know, from a political perspective, neither party likes this. Each takes it out of context. But from God's perspective, what he wants is if he blesses you with wealth, you should be using it to bless the lives of others. Uh, jump back into uh, Genesis, verse 15. During the night, Abram divided his men to attack them, and he routed them. He didn't just routed them. He literally slaughtered them. We'll talk about that in a minute. Pursuing them as far as Hobah, north of Damascus. He recovered all the goods and brought back, to his, relative, and brought back his relative lot and his possessions together with the women and other people. Now, he could have just went in, saved Lot, and got out of Dodge. But he didn't. He used his resources to save everyone. Verse 17, after Abram returned from defeating Kedaloamer and the kings allied with him, the king of Sodom came out to meet him in the valley of Sheva. That's the king's valley. And this is where it gets good. Then Melchizedek, king of Salem, brought out bread and wine. He was priest of God Most High. And he blessed Abram, saying, Blessed be Abram by God Most High, creator of heaven and earth. And blessed be God Most High, who delivered your enemies into your hand. Then Abram gave him a tenth of everything. That word tenth is the word tithe, and that's where the concept comes from. 
It doesn't come from the law. It comes from uh, when you interact with, with, with God's blessings that you are grateful and thankful. And that word, tenth, that word tenth is the word tithe. That's where the tithing concept comes from. The king of Sodom said to Abram, give me the people and keep the goods for yourself. Here, here's, and, and this is where the difference is. Abram comes back. He's victorious. God has blessed him. One king comes out and says, hey, you're blessed, so I want to bless you but I also want to give blessings and thanks to God, right? Another king comes out and he says, give me the people. Give me the resources that you fought for. And again, I'm not saying anything negative about any particular politicians, but when you're seeking political power, most of the politicians, they want the people, but they're not willing to go fight for the people. But they will come up and try to claim the resources of the people which is what we see happening here, right? But Abraham said to the king of Sodom, I have raised my hand to the Lord God most high, creator of heaven and earth, and have taken an oath that I will accept nothing belonging to you, not even a thread or the throng of a sandal, so that you will never be able to say, I made Abram rich. In other words, he's saying, I don't want any mistake about it. You didn't give me anything. You didn't bless me with anything. Verse 24, I'll accept nothing but what my men have eaten, and a share that belongs to the men who went with me, to Aner, Eskel, and Mamre. Let them have their share. So a few things. First and foremost, one of the things that Abram says is, hey, even though these men don't believe like I believe, when circumstances call for it, we will stand together, we will fight together, we will unite together. It wasn't talking about let's worship together. It wasn't talking about let's go to church together. But it was talking about, hey, our community is at risk. So we need to come together with people, even if they don't believe like we believe, but they live here. They're going to feel the same impact that we are. We need to come together on behalf of the people. And that's what they did. Now, a couple other things. Um, some theologians, some theologians believe that the king that came out, Melchizedek, was a king who was a type of the Christ, right? In other words, he, he came out and he, was, he did the type of things that Christ would do for humanity. He blessed Abraham and blessed God, and Christ would bless humanity. And they think there's a, a, a theological term, it's called types and shadows, uh, and they say that even though uh, Christ would come later, that he's a type of the Christ, or he's a shadow of what Christ would do for humanity. Now, there are other theologians, and I stand on this side, who think he wasn't a type of the Christ. He was the Christ. He was Christ showing up uh, before he was born as a baby, uh, and they call it a theophany. Uh, it's a Greek word meaning an appearance uh, of God or a Christophany, an appearance of Christ in the Old Testament. And so many of us believe that this wasn't just a king who did things like Christ, that it was Christ. And the author of Hebrews kind of bears that out because the, here's what the author of Hebrews says about it. He says this, he says, For this Melchizedek, Melchizedek king of Salem, priest of the Most High God, met Abraham returning from the slaughter of the kings and blessed him, right? Because this wasn't, this wasn't just a, a, a regular fight that he won. He literally slaughtered the enemy using the resources that God blessed him with, which we should keep in mind when God fights for us, 
no weapon stand against us can prosper. Uh, but he also says this. He says, and to him, Abraham apportioned a tenth part of everything. He, meaning Melchizedek, is first, by translation of his name, king of righteousness. And then he is also king of Salem, that is the king of peace. He is without father or mother or genealogy, having neither beginning of days nor end of life, but resembling the Son of God, he continues a priest forever. So here, here's what the author of, of Hebrews is saying. He's saying this Melchizedek, uh, his, his, his name, Melchizedek, literally means king of righteousness, which we know that's what Jesus is. He says he is also king of Salem, uh, that means king of peace, and a lot of theologians, the ones who say, well, he wasn't actually Christ. They say he was the king of Jerusalem, and in some of your Bibles, there might be a note uh, in Genesis where it says king of Salem, and there's a note that takes you to a footnote that says Jerusalem. Here's the problem with that. Jerusalem didn't exist yet. It wouldn't exist for several hundred years. The place where Jerusalem was was just grass and trees and, you know, weeds, and nobody was cutting the lot because it didn't exist yet. But he was the king of peace, who we know that's who Jesus is. He was without father or mother or genealogy. There is no record of his birth. There's no record of him being a king anywhere. Uh, the author of Hebrews says that he was with neither beginning days or end of life. There's no record of him being born. There's no record of him dying. But he also says, resembling the Son of God, he continues a priest forever. And we know that's what the Bible says of Jesus that Jesus was a priest uh, and is a priest for us forever. Now, no matter who you think Melchizedek is, he blessed Abraham with the communion elements, which, again, which is why we think it was Jesus, blessed Abraham with the communion elements. He took wine, right, and he took bread, and he brought it out, and he blessed Abraham, and then turned around and blessed God. Now, here's the thing. When we take communion, that's typically what we do. We have wine, we have bread, or we have the little cups, disposable cups, because, you know, COVID ruins everything, right? And it was just bread and wine. Years, hundreds of years later, God is going to institute not just bread and wine, but a whole meal process, and included in that meal process is bread and wine. And as part of that meal process... He said, I want you to remember, because remember, we're talking about being grateful and being inviting. I want you to remember what God has done for you. And so for hundreds or thousands of years, that's what was done. And it's called the Passover. We talked about it when we went through the book of Exodus. Now, fast forward, Jesus is born in the flesh. He lives his life, and before he dies, he grabs his disciples. He says, hey, come. And he says that, hey, this communion thing, this whole meal, he pulls out the same elements that Melchizedek did, the bread and the wine, and he says, this now means something new. It's not just part of the Passover meal. Whenever you take it, it's going to have a different significance. And he says this. In the book of Matthew, Jesus said, now, as they were eating, he took the bread and praising God, right, he gave thanks. I don't want to break this and leave crumbs up here, but he gave, especially because there's a spider crawling around somewhere. He broke the bread and he gave thanks, um, excuse me, and asked him to bless it to their use. Same thing Melchizedek did. He blessed it. 
And when he had broken it, he gave it to the disciples and said, take and eat. This is my body. Right? And then when they got to the portion of the meal where they were taking the wine, he said he took the cup. And when he had given thanks, he gave it to them saying, drink of it, all of you, for this is my blood of the new covenant which ratifies the agreement and is being poured out for many for the forgiveness of sins. He said, this is the sign-sealed legal contract, my blood being poured out, that we're going to be together in eternity. But then he didn't end it there. He also said this. He said, I say to you, I shall not drink again of the fruit of the vine until the day, till the day, this is the last time I'm going to do this with you, even though it was a regular ritual that they did every year. He said, this is the last time I'm going to do this with you until the day when we are all doing it, gathered around the table together in the presence of God. We're going to do this now, but the next time I do it with you, we're going to be all seated at the king's table, spending eternity together. Right? So that aspect of communion uh, has a huge, huge significance because it's a reminder of a couple of things. Right? First of all, like we said, it's a reminder that the body of Christ was broken for us, literally beaten to a pulp, pierced, but he did it for us. He didn't have to do it, but he is one of the kings who is willing to fight for the people. He didn't break his body for himself. He broke his body for us so that all of us would get to spend eternity together in fellowship at the king's table, right? It's also a reminder that his blood was poured out for us. We don't have to wonder, is God going to uphold his end of the contract? If I, if, I, if I put my faith and my trust in him, how do I know that I'm going to go to heaven? Because we have his blood. Is a, do you remember when you were kids and we used to do really stupid things like cut our hands with scissors and rusty blades and then make blood contract? I, I can remember two that I made. Um, I don't think kids do that now because, Lord willing, nurses have told us enough about cutting your hand with rusty blades and how dangerous that is. But remember when we made those blood contracts and all that kind of stuff? That's what this is. This is a science of blood contract that God has with us that we who put our faith and trust in him will get to spend eternity with him. But it also does one other thing, okay? It's a reminder that this is not the end, that he's coming back for us, and that we can change the entire conversation that people are having today. Everything that divides us. Because he, here, here's, here's what, when, we, when, when you think of communion, here's what it, it means. It means not just you and I are invited, but everyone is invited to spend eternity with God. Because he's coming back for us. Because his body was broken for us and his blood was shed for us. And it's not just, and, and let me put it this way, because right now, um, this is an all-white congregation. I used to say predominantly white, but the only people of color are me and Andrew. So it's an all-white congregation, right? But people of every race, every color, are invited to the table, right? Now, this is an all-white all congregation, but we have 
an array of political perspective. We got some people that are heavily Democrat. We got some people that, like me, independent in the middle. We got some people that are heavily Republican. But it doesn't matter because no matter what your political perspective is, we have a king who fights for us, and we're all invited to the table, right? We have people who, who, who only like certain kinds of foods. They're all invited. Even the vegans are invited, right? Because, you know, when you're trying to do Christmas and Thanksgiving, you got people with all these weird diets and this, that, and the other. But no matter what type of food you like, you're invited to the table. You're invited to be a part of God's kingdom. Even the people who tonight are going to give out toothpaste and breath mints, you're invited to the table. Even the people this afternoon who are going to be like voting for the Browns and no, we don't like them, but they're all invited to the table. Everyone is invited to the table. And the church has missed this because whenever we talk about communion, uh, we say, well, you have to be a member. You have to do this. You have to do that. Jesus didn't say that. He said everyone's invited to the table. So what we're going to do right now is we're going to partake of communion. And, 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 and I get, because of COVID, there's a lot of weird stuff. So for those of you who are still uncomfortable, and I did check the date on these, these are not expired, uh, you can, as you come up, you can come over to here, and on the table, uh, there are little, the handheld, pull it back, take the wafer, drink the cup, there's a little garbage can on the other side, you can drop that in the garbage can, and then make your way back. Those of you who want to go the traditional route, I washed my hands first, and then I broke up all the bread, uh, and put it on multiple plates, so then you can take the bread, and I'm going to ask Kevin, if you can come up here, and just stand over here, and hold the cup, so those of you that want to go the traditional route, you can come up, and you can take uh, the piece of bread, just drip it in the juice, try not to drip it on the carpet, uh, and then... Um, yeah, just make your way back. So whichever way you feel comfortable, I invite everyone to come up. Now, some of you may be like, well, you know what? Maybe this is a great time to pray. Maybe it's a great time to do some business with God. Those of you who are watching at home, if you want to go grab some bread and you want to go grab some juice uh, and, and partake with us, then feel free. So let me pray, and then I'm going to invite everyone to uh, come up for communion. God, we just pray that you would... Impress this upon our hearts, that as your word said, your body was broken for us, not for anyone else, but for us, for humanity. Your blood was shed as a signed, sealed covenant, a contract that we will get to spend eternity with you. And you tell us that you won't do this again until you're able to do it with all of us in the presence of God at the king's table. And we pray that as we partake, that we are reminded of all of these things, but also reminded of how much you love us. And we pray this in Jesus' name. And everyone said, amen. Amen. So as you feel led, uh, come up and partake of communion. Now I'm going to ask you to bow your heads. God, we're just so grateful.
that you loved us enough to send your son to die upon a cross for us. We pray that we would truly be grateful and appreciative in the days and weeks coming uh, during this holiday season of all that you have blessed us with of the food that we're able to partake of because of you, of the family and friends who you bring into our lives. But we truly pray that we're able to put our divisions aside and be the church and be inviting and be loving to those in our circles of influence so they might experience your goodness and grace. And we pray this in Jesus' name. Amen.